630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. I'm great, Reed. How are you? Well, I'm doing very well. You must be uh, riding high. You ended the CEBL season yesterday. I got to say, I, I, I like that format they put in to end games with an actual basket. What was it like to score the basket that clinched the championship? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think everybody in the crowd wanted Xavier Moon to hit another three to go three for three for in Elam time and score all nine, but I uh, had to uh, kind of ruin his um, ruin his MVP campaign, even though he still managed to uh, win the MVP of the finals as well as the MVP of the regular season. So, um, you know, when you're up 34, there's not a whole lot of pressure. So it was just whoever kind of put themselves in that spot was going to end up with the game winner. Yeah, well, exciting for you to do it, obviously, uh, in your home city. I, I mean, look, a, a championship game, you kind of expect it to be close. At least I always do as someone who observes these things. But you guys were in charge throughout. I mean, tell us about playing in that game, grabbing the momentum, and then just – I mean, there, to me, Jordan, there wasn't really a dip. I, I never really felt that uh, Niagara had a little run that threatened you guys. Yeah, I mean, we were up 13 at halftime. And coming out of the out of the huddle at the start of the third quarter, you know, I said to the guys, I said, hey, we this lead never gets below 13. Um, you know, we knew that they were going to try to make a run to start that third quarter, kind of make things a little bit tighter. And, you know, we got off to a good start. Um, then we saw it go to 18. We saw it go to 20. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, at the end of the third quarter of 23. So um, for us, we were playing our best basketball at the right time of the year. And um, we managed to keep our foot on the gas pedal, which was kind of an issue for us earlier this season. But, uh, you know, we managed to tighten it up uh, in front of the electric home crowd. Well, and look, an incredible season for the Stingers. Just one loss, a second consecutive championship. I know the circumstances of last year's championship were different because, you know, it was basically a bit of an extended tournament for a couple of weeks. This was, this was more like an actual season. But here, here's the big question. Why were you guys so good this year? I mean, a lot of teams have talent, but sometimes they can't put it together. What allowed you guys to put it together over and over again? I think part of it was the cohesion from, you know, our core group of guys who have been together for the last two, three years. Um, it definitely had our club has definitely more of a, a university or college type feel than it does a professional feel because, you know, when you think about professional contracts, especially overseas, you know, you're on a one-year deal, um, you put up some good numbers, and then you try to jettison off to somewhere a little bit better for a little bit more money. Um, and our group has been together for three years, similar to what you do in college. Um, so we do have a little bit more of a family, um, unselfish, trusting feel to our club. Um, and we've accepted the new guys in, and they bought in right away from the from the first game. So we feel like we are a little bit more connected as a group, um, a little bit more on the same page. And obviously, you know, cohesion never hurts on the floor as well. Jordan, tell me about what it means for you to play professionally in Edmonton. You're an Edmonton guy. You played for the U of A Golden Bears. You did, you know, play pro overseas for a few years before the CEBL even existed. And, and I mean, you mentioned the crowd yesterday. I, I watched on TV. The crowd looked great. It was, it was loud. I mean, I know, you know, I know there's, there's more to come for you and there's more playing and more coaching to do, but, you know, to be able to play pro basketball in your home city, which wouldn't have even been possible uh, when you and I first met when you were going to the U of A, what does that mean to you? Yeah. I mean, interestingly enough, there was pro basketball. There were other, sure. Other teams that came and went. I think this, I think this team's a little more solid. 
And that's the thing. Like it was always um, a temporary thing. Um, you know, when I was in college and when I was looking to, to play professional basketball, the only option was to go overseas um, because there was leagues that kind of popped in and out of Edmonton playing out of different venues, whether it's McEwen or Savile and nothing really ever seemed to stick. And so for me, I never thought there was going to be the opportunity to play professional basketball um, in front of my friends and family in Edmonton, but um, CBL has done a great job. And so for me to be able to represent Edmonton um, with the Stingers uh, has been really special. And I think that um, this weekend or this past weekend is only going to help the momentum of the team and hopefully season ticket sales start to go through the roof and momentum just keeps building and building. And hopefully there's more and more local guys um, who can get involved um, because the talent is here out West. It's just a matter of um, giving them a platform to showcase what they can do. So how, and you and I have talked over the years and I remember we talked this, this summer, the CEBL started and, I was like, okay, is it, you know, is it going to work? And you and I sort of had that type of chat. How, how come it's worked? And especially under two incredibly difficult years, the last two years, I referenced last year, they had to modify it, have a tournament. How come the CBL uh, appears to be not just sticking around, but also thriving and, and maybe even growing? I know they'd like to add some more teams down the road. For sure. Yeah. I mean, they just announced an eighth team um, with number nine scheduled to come to Montreal, I believe for the 2022 season. So um, you got to give credit to, to the league office and to Mike Morreale for all the work that he's done and in making sure that this league can survive and, and not only survive, but, but grow and try to attract new fan base. Um, every year, it seems like new initiatives are being put in place. Um, and obviously, with some of the restrictions being lifted and they were able to get some, some butts and some seats this year, I think the return to live sports is something a lot of people were... Um, excited about across Canada. So for us to be able to be kind of that first league um, to restart, um, certainly going to help momentum moving forward because it is, um, you know, a growing sport in Canada and hopefully um, it can still attract some top talent to, to make sure those fans keep coming back. Jordan Baker joining us tonight on Inside Sports, helped the Edmonton Stingers win the CEBL championship yesterday, 101-65 over Niagara uh, Jordan with another solid game of course 19 points and six rebounds and now you transition to the other part of your basketball life with it which is coaching you're now the head coach at Nate you were a Golden Bears assistant for four seasons as well um, was it was that always on the menu for you even, even when you were playing that you wanted to coach someday or, or tell us about making that such a big part of your life now yeah, I mean, I'm going against kind of my parents' wishes, uh, both of them having coached at the post-secondary level. They said, stay away from it. You don't want to work those long hours. You don't want to pull your hair out dealing with student-athletes who don't listen. But uh, despite that advice, I've uh, gone forward with it. And I think it really started when I was at U of A um, as a player, uh, suffered a pretty significant injury. And so I was sidelined for, for eight months and trying to find ways to help contribute and, and help the team get to some level of success. And I found that being able to be an extension of the coaching staff as an injured guy on the bench was was very rewarding and so I thought you know once my body's not able to to do this anymore it'd be nice to be able to still contribute and still help the next generation of players especially you know in Edmonton and in Alberta so um, coaching was a national tra natural transition and Barnaby Craddock gave me an opportunity to kind of get my feet wet at U of A and now um, off to Nate for my first uh, head coaching gig. Okay, so now that you've been coaching for a while, 
do you look back on your playing career and saying, Oh, 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 now I get why coach was harping on me. <laughs> like, does it change the perspective uh, as you look back or does it maybe help you deal with certain situations? Certainly does. Um, I think that my success, even in the, the past couple of years with the Edmonton stingers has really been, um, I guess, magnified because of, my now background in coaching, um, just being able to absorb information and look at it through a different lens versus just, you know, the guy out on the floor trying to put the ball in the basket. Now you've got to take a step back and look at it from the perspective of the coaching staff and what they're trying to accomplish in the grander scheme of things. So uh, I think it's definitely helped me as a player um, as I continue my professional career um, and certainly has me wishing I was a little bit more receptive to things um, when I was in college or when I was a, a younger pro, but, um, hindsight's always 2020 and hopefully, uh, I can convince some of the Nate guys to, uh, listen and implement some things on the first try versus having to pound it into them. Right. Okay. And tell us about what's ahead here for the ACAC season. You are going to go ahead. Um, you know, any, uh, any changes schedule wise, format wise, what are we looking at here? Yeah. So the ACAC is, um, moving forward with, the. 16 game schedule instead of a 24 game schedule. So a little bit of a reduction. Um, obviously things had to be approved earlier this summer um, when there was still some question marks surrounding COVID and how it would impact the season of play, but we've managed to, to build this transition schedule. Um, and I just think that guys um, are excited to get back on the floor after, you know, 18 months without any sort of competition. So uh, you could put a five game schedule in front of them and guys would be itching to get back at it. So um, we're just excited to get started here in September with training camp and like get the ball rolling. All right. Well, Jordan, I, I wish you all the best. And you know, it's, it's been awesome to, to keep having you on the show in, in recent years. I mean, uh, you and I go back, uh, I guess a little over a decade now, so it's nice. We can still have these chats and uh, it's, it's great for me to see your success and, and the impact you're having on basketball in Edmonton and that you're bringing along a future generation of excellent players as well, man. All the best, and congratulations again on the title. I appreciate it, Reed. Always fun to be on. Well, this is the more fun part of the show after talking about Elks COVID issues for most of the first hour. We just had Jordan Baker on the program, just an outstanding Edmontonian. I, I think someone who should be a, a role model to athletes in the city, uh, was a great player at the U of A, plays prof played professionally in Europe. Now he's a member of the Edmonton Stingers. He coaches the Nate men's basketball team. I, I don't think he has quite yet turned 30, and he's already got an impressive resume, but we want to fill in a gap on that resume. Where did Jordan Baker go to high school to win four golf passes to play at Edmonton Springs? And uh, the weather is going to be better than it was today, for sure, for you to get out and play golf. 780-496-0063. Glenn was the first caller in, so he gets the first crack at it. Glenn, what's going on? Uh, not very much, Reed. How are how are you? Uh, well, I'll be honest with you, Glenn. I've 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 had shows that I've enjoyed more. <laughs> um, but, but I, that, that's I, okay. I do have a question, you know, regarding you know, before I give you my answer, um, 
I noticed at the uh, BC um, Edmonton Elks game that the coach was not wearing a mask. So I, I guess in BC it's not uh, it's not required um, on the sidelines to wear a mask uh, during the football game. Is that is that your understanding? Uh, well, I think they have to follow CFL rules uh, as well. And I, I'm trying to like I think Elizondo was not, but I think some of the other coaches were. So I, I, I can try to find out more, Glenn. I, I think it was either a personal decision or perhaps it relates to your vaccination status. Not to worry. Okay. Uh, all right. Where did Jordan Baker uh, go to high school? Uh, complete guess. I'm going to say Harry Ainley. Well, your complete guess is absolutely correct. Now, why would you guess Harry Ainley? <laughs> I don't know, since I went to St. Joseph's. But you went to St. Joseph's. And so you would have played against Jordan then? Uh, no, uh, not not a player. Sorry. Okay. All right. You're probably younger than him anyway, so that's okay. Are you a good uh, I'm golfer? Afraid not. I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. Are you a good golfer? Uh, um, actually, uh, we talked about this last week. Uh, no, uh, two weeks ago. Oh, did you, you call in a couple on. weeks ago? Okay, sorry. Yeah, um, not a golfer at all. Okay. Well, you can give these passes to somebody else. Sound fair? Uh, sounds very fair. Okay. Stay on the line. Kellen will take down your info and uh, let you know how to get the passes. If you called in and on hold, I'm sorry. we got a lot of Jordan Baker experts out there. We're giving away more golf passes tomorrow. I'll come up with, I'll come, I'll try to come up with some really crazy, weird question tomorrow. That's like a four part answer. How does that sound? It's inside sports on Chet, baby. Back after the news. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit here about Caleb Reimer, who was killed on the weekend, unfortunately, in a crash, along with Ronan Sharma and Parker Magnuson. Crash was in Surrey, B.C. Caleb Reimer played his uh, rookie season with the Edmonton Oil Kings last season, so a, a really tragic loss of three lives here. And the Edmonton Oil Kings general manager, Kurt Hill, today addressed the media over Zoom and uh, had uh, this to say about Caleb Reimer passing away. My relationship with Caleb was uh, quite strong. I mean, he was a player that uh, myself and Jamie Porter drafted into the into the organization as a young 14-year-old. You know, I remember that the, the initial conversation quite fondly. You know, such a such a great kid, great family. All my dealings with him were so positive. He was a young kid at heart. He was he's a late birthday. You know, when we got him, he even when he came here last year in the bubble, he was the youngest player in our team until we brought some younger guys in and. Uh, he was everybody's little brother around here. You know, he was a guy with a with a real, real bright future ahead of him, and the the impact he made on our team off the ice, on the ice last year was was tremendous. And yeah, he made a made a big impact in our group. Yeah, and Kurt Hill went on to uh, further explain Caleb Reimer's impact on the Oil Kings. Yeah, I think again, looking back on last year, it was I mean, it was a difficult year for a lot of reasons with COVID and everything we went through to get even even play, and for a young player. You know, I think it's pretty difficult to, well, it was probably difficult for a lot of players on our team to comprehend what was even going on last year. And Caleb got here and, you know, we had the luxury of keeping a lot of younger players last year. And, you know, he was a guy that just wanted to get better every day. And he made ex extreme strides throughout the season in his game. And I even, even personally off the ice, just his, his development and his maturity level, he made big strides. He left a lasting impression with our coaching staff, myself. Um, and all of our players, you know, I think last year our players spent more time together than they ever will in a season again. They became a real, real close group last year. Um, 
and he was a big part of that. And Hill also commenting on how the Oil Kings players will be supported in the wake of Reimer's passing. We're in the process right now of putting our resources together for all of our players. I mean, all of our efforts here are obviously to support support the family. Um, you know, our condolences go out to to the Reimer family and the other and the the, the Sharma family and the Magnuson family. And yeah, I mean, we got to be here to support our players. They're young, they're young teens, they're young adults, and you know, we need to we need to be here to support them. And we're going to put all the resources we can in place to make sure that. Uh, they have the necessary people to reach out to and uh, that includes our staff here as well that includes our support staff and our bill of families you know anybody that was associated with that is associated with our organization it's, it's difficult to say you know what uh, you know who needs to talk about this but we'll be sure to have the people in place for that yeah a really sad story that's Kurt Hill the general manager of the Edmonton Oil Kings remembering Caleb Reimer who was killed in a crash over the weekend this is Inside Sports on Chet Do you remember when John Candy owned the Toronto Argos and Wayne Gretzky and Bruce McNall? Uh, it was quite a time. Obviously, uh, you know, Dave and I had this interview planned here when when we still thought that the uh, Elks were going to play the Argos on Thursday. But we're going to go with it anyway because it's a really cool story from a really interesting guy. His name is Paul Woods. He used to live right here in Edmonton. The new book is called Year of the Rocket. John Candy, Wayne Gretzky, a crooked tycoon, and the craziest season in football history. It's about the 1991 Toronto Argos, and we welcome Paul Woods to Inside Sports. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Thank you very much. Well, it's awesome to have you on the show. Year of the Rocket, first of all, great title. That alone, I think, is going to pull a lot of people in. But be- before we dive into that and, and that season, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself because uh, you have a-, a very strong connection with Canadian football. Well, absolutely. Thank you. I, I mean, I've been an Argo fan since I was a kid, so that's going back more than 50 years now. Um, and I worked in journalism for 40 years. The last 40 years I've been a journalist, although I, I frankly, I'm lucky I didn't have to cover the Argos very much. I was able to be a fan. Uh, there was a couple times I had to cover Argo games as a, as a journalist, and, you know, it's pretty hard to sort of set aside your fan, take your fan hat off and become a journalist for those games. But uh, And, I mean, I've, uh, I, I've followed the team incredibly closely for the last really 45 years. Um, and, you know, I was a huge fan of the team in the 80s and into the 90s. And even when I lived in Edmonton, I kept my season tickets at Skydome. Uh, my dad used them. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, I wrote a book about the 83 Argos. It came out in 2013 on the 30th anniversary of that Grey Cup championship. Uh, now I've got a book about the 91 Argos. Well, and nothing against the 83 Argos, but I would think the 91 Argos would stick at people's <laughs> memories a little more and I mean and, and you touched on it. I mean it's got Candy it's got Gretzky it's got McNall uh, I, I've been able to interview Bruce a couple of times though it's it's centered around a certain player that he purchased uh, <laughs> one summer in the late 80s or something like that and of course uh, Ismail who okay let's start there because I think you got to remind people like this guy NCAA star uh, how the heck did he wind up in the little old CFL 
Yeah, it's 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 astonishing now, especially in retrospect. I mean, you know, it, it, don't forget in this in the seventies there were times when occasionally the CFL, Montreal and Toronto would outbid the NFL for big name players. Montreal brought in Tom Cousineau. They later brought in Vince Ferragamo, which was a complete disaster. Toronto got Joe Theismann. They got Bruce Clark. Terry Metcalf came up from the St. Louis Cardinals. So at that time the salaries weren't hugely different the way they are now. But by the nineties, by early nineties. It, it had changed completely, uh, and the idea of, of the Argos signing the guy that was reported to be, expected to be the first pick in the NFL draft, the biggest star in college football, Notre Dame, the biggest football factory, and he came to the Argos. It was it was a lot of things changed. I mean, it was two months after Bruce and John and Wayne had bought the team. Uh, Bruce wanted to make a big splash. He told Mike McCarthy, the general manager, think big, and McCarthy had been thinking, man, would it ever be cool to get Rocket Ismail on this team never thought it would happen and then when Bruce said think big he started thinking big and he, he went to Bruce and said I think we should try to go for rocket and Bruce loved the idea he his, his eyes lit up and they immediately threw some money on the table to Rockets agents who didn't take it very seriously they thought come on it's a CFL there's no way it's going to happen uh, but then you know they realized Bruce was serious and meanwhile rocket was in discussions with the New England Patriots, who at that time were the worst team in, in the NFL, they had the first pick. Rocket had a meeting with them. He felt that there was a, a somebody made a, a comment that he construed as racist, and he started saying to his agents, "I think we need to look at this Canadian option more." Then Bruce flew him to Las Vegas and Los Angeles. He got driven around in Bruce's Bentley to Rodeo Drive with Matt Dunigan. They went on a clothes buying spree. He got squired around Toronto by Pinball Clemens and Daryl K. Smith and Donegan. And before you knew it, he was signing with the with the Argos. And they actually made, they signed the deal between periods of an Edmonton-Los uh, Angeles NHL playoff game uh, the night before the NFL draft. So the NFL draft opens on a Sunday morning on ESPN. And the first thing out of Chris Berman's mouth is that the biggest star is off the board. He's gone to Canada. Hard to imagine that happening in this day and age. So when, when you're putting this together, um, I don't know. Unfortunately, John Candy's no longer with us. But did, were you able to talk to all the prince, uh, principals, like even Gretzky, even Ismail? I, I mean, McNall, I found, is pretty open to talk to. Did you get every, everybody? I'm almost. Uh, okay. For Bruce, for sure. Wayne, yes. Uh, Wayne said a pretty funny thing that's in the book. He said, uh, you know, if you talk to Bruce, I said, well, not yet, but I'm going to. And he said, well, you know, Bruce is like a garbage can. Step on his foot and his mouth opens. So, because, and McDowell, as you know, Reed, I mean, he loves to talk and, he, and he's quite happy to talk about anything, including all the fraud that he committed that, that led to him going to, to, to the pen. Um, the one guy I didn't speak to was Rocket. He, he uh, didn't respond to me for 14 months. I tried uh, phone, text, email, uh, a, a registered letter. I talked to his agent. I talked to friends of his. I talked to teammates of his. Never got a response. And finally, after 14 months, I, I said to an intermediary, look, he's either got to say yes or no, because I've got to get on with this. And through the intermediary, he declined, which is actually right in character, because he didn't really like talking to the press back then, which was one of the problems for the story, frankly. Uh, but his voice is in the book. I mean, he did say a lot of things over the years, and so his voice is heard. But everybody else I spoke to, other than the ones that have passed, like like John uh, I did get to talk to Chris Schultz before he died fortunately so uh, so got pretty well everybody that I could get yeah so what can you give us the context for how John Candy got involved in this I mean McNall and Gretzky okay 
obvious. How did how did the the late great and hilarious <laughs> John John Candy get into this and say, okay, uh, SCTV? Now I'm. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Uncle Buck, well, home alone. Now I'm owning the Argos. Well, John, has, and you're right. I mean, John had by then he had a pretty big movie career. You know, he had been on SCTV, and then he he started doing making movies, and he had some really big ones like Uncle Buck and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And he'd moved his family to Los Angeles in the early to mid '80s, and because he was from Toronto and he was a hockey fan, he started going to Kings games. Uh, and when Bruce bought the Kings, he got control of the Kings. I think in '87, he bought in as a minority partner in 86 he made john the honorary captain of the kings john was at every kings game and he was at uh, he was before the games he would be in the forum club downstairs in the bowels of the fab fabulous forum eating dinner with john can't were with with bruce mcnall and a, and a big pile of celebrities and so bruce and john became pretty tight uh so when bruce found out about the argos being for sale from harry ornes another F, former edmontonian um he first he phoned wayne and wayne said oh you bruce the only team worth buying in Canada is the Argonauts. Wayne grew up, of course, in Brantford, which is only a couple of hours down the road. Uh, and then Bruce phoned John, and, and 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 John said, man, like, I love the Argos. I wanted to play for them when I was a kid. And Bruce said to John, get your checkbook out. You're coming in on the deal. Okay. <laughs> get your checkbook. That sounds like how McNall would uh, negotiate. You're just, you're just doing it. Paul Woods joining us on Inside Sports. The new book is called Year of the Rocket, looking back at the uh, 1991 Argos. And you see Paul's telling you about some of the incredible storylines that you maybe you're learning about or maybe is triggering some some memory bells. And that's what's happening for me. I remember, I remember the big picture, but you're hitting on some details. So what was the expectation? Because like I remember that, that season, like they were – Pretty, but I can't remember. Were they supposed to win it? Were they supposed to be good? Were there question marks like, how good is this male going to going to be here? What was that team sort of expected to do? What did the well, what did they it, said? Yeah, it's very interesting, Reed, because in you know in 1990, uh, the year before, the Argos had what I believe and what I say in the book was the greatest offense Canadian football has ever seen. They scored 689 points that year. They had they put up 70 points in a game and 68 points and 59 points. They they were a dominating team offensively. Even though it was the first year Matt Dunnigan had joined the Argos, he'd come to them from the from the BC Lions uh, at the beginning of the 90 season, and he kept getting hurt he, he had suffered three separate injuries through the course of the 1990 season and their backup quarterbacks kept getting hurt they ended up bringing in i'll never forget i was i was living in edmonton in 1990 uh went to the game the argos came to play the eskimos at commonwealth stadium in august of 1990 and like two days before that game the Argos had plucked Ricky Foggy off the BC Lions practice roster. They, the Lions had, had brought in Doug Flutie that year, and they still had Joe Pow Pow, and they were they were trying to convert Ricky Foggy to a slot back. And the Argos were running into all these injury problems with their quarterbacks, and so Mike McCarthy calls up Foggy and says, hey, you want to come to Toronto? You're going to get into a game. You're going to get a game check, and we're playing you at quarterback. Because he'd been in, he'd been in BC in 88 when Adam Rita was, was the offensive coordinator, and now Adam was with Don, Don Matthews in Toronto in 1990. So so, so Ricky gets on the plane and comes in two days later 
the Argos come to Commonwealth. They're getting killed. Tom Porras started the game for the Argos that night. I think he threw three interceptions and he fumbled twice. And so with about, I think, maybe 12 minutes left in the game or something, and it's a lost cause, Matthews puts Foggy in. He's only had maybe one practice with the team, maybe not even a full practice. And he, he threw three touchdown passes and ran for like 70 yards. And I'll never forget sitting in my car in the parking lot of Commonwealth after the game with my buddy who is a big Eskimos fan. We're listening to, to Brian Hall interviewing Don Matthews. And Brian says something like, well, what are you going to do about the quarterbacking done against her? And Matthews basically says, I found a quarterback tonight. And sure enough, Ricky Foggy out of nowhere became a dominant quarterback for the Argos in 1990. So they scored 689 points. And I'm thinking, man, you add the rocket to that. Uh, they couldn't get to the Great Cup that year. The one team they couldn't beat in 1990 was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They beat them five straight. But even then, I mean, they're in the Eastern Final in Winnipeg. They're down to their fifth string quarterback. They brought Tom Porras out of out of retirement. And by the, by the end of the Eastern Final, he's quarterbacking because Dunnigan and Foggy couldn't play. Willie Gillis couldn't play. John Kajemi got hurt during the game. They throw in the emergency quarterback, Tom Porras, and the game is tied with a minute to go. And then Tom Burgess somehow runs up the middle for 40 yards and the Bombers win. The next week, the Bombers kill the Eskimos. I think it was 50 to 11. 50 11, I'm yep. I'm convinced if the Argos had gotten to that game, even with the fifth string quarterback, they would have killed the Eskimos just as bad. So, yeah, I think they were kind of the favorites anyway. And then you add the rocket to it, right? Paul Woods joining us on Inside Sports. Okay, well, I, I mean, I, I got to get my hands on this book because that, that is such an interesting year. And, and was that the Great Cup? Somebody threw something at Rocket <laughs> when he was running the punt back for the touchdown? Was it a cup or poppers or was it a snowball? Well, Don Whitman on CBC said it was a snowball, but it was it became obvious pretty quickly that it was a frozen can of beer. Okay. And I set out as, as part of the book, I set out on a quest to find the, the, the beer can thrower, and I found the guy that I believe threw the can. Uh, I mean, I can't prove it. I always I always qualify by saying, you know, it was 30 years ago. There's no corroborating evidence, but I set out on this big this big search and through it with some help from a from a columnist from the Winnipeg Free Press and some other connections, I started un- you know checking out every lead i could find and eventually i got to a guy who says it was him and i believe he was i believe it was him and it was a half frozen can of beer he'd smuggled it in in his mother's bra because he was wearing his mother's underwear at the game it's a whole crazy story it's all in the book oh wow okay well <laughs> and he almost hit him he came real close it to did. rocket yeah it was real close yeah it wouldn't have been down by contact though because that's be <laughs> yeah. another player he could have got yeah. up and rolled the last five yards That's into right. the end zone okay well this is uh, this book sounds like a blast a year of the rocket by paul woods if fans are looking for it so i want to ask you one more here as you know an ongoing story with the canadian football league has been what do they do with the argos and even going back let, let's just go back the last 11 or 12 years well it's okay they, they got to get a big name quarterback well they got ricky ray okay well they got to win well, Ricky took him to a couple of great cups. Well, they got to get out of uh, Sky Dome or Rogers Center, whatever it's called, and yeah. and go to a smaller stadium. Those things have happened, and yet, mm-hmm. what what's going on? Is is there a fix at this point in your mind? It's it's a challenge. It's a really big challenge. I mean, I'm an Argo fanatic. I've, I've got season tickets. I love going to games at BMO. It's a fantastic facility to watch football. Um, but they're they're dealing with basically. 
a decline of interest that has that really dates back about 40 years. Uh, it goes back to the early 80s when they won that Grey Cup in 83. It was the first one in 31 years, and it sort of released a pressure valve, and it happened just at the same time as the Blue Jays were getting competitive. And the Blue Jays had done a very good job of marketing themselves, particularly the young families, and the Argos did not spend a dime on marketing throughout the entire 1980s. And so when McNall arrived, McNall, Gretzky, and Candy arrived in 91, interest, interest blipped up for a year uh but then then they they made the mistake almost of winning the gray cup in 91 and then people also said okay well okay well that was good now let's watch the blue jays and the blue jays won the world series in 92 and then since then since of course it turned out mcnall didn't have the money that we all thought he did so that went bad by 94 they were gone they had they had caretaker ownership from what was originally Labatt's Brewing. It became Interbrew, was and then it was turned over to an insurance guy from New York City called Sherwood Schwartz, who really was in kind of over his head. Uh, there were some pretty decent owners named Cinnamon and Sokolowski in the early 2000s, but they didn't have as much money as they needed to to make it work. This, being in the Sky Dome was a huge disaster for the team, even though it was built because of a of a rainy Grey Cup that Toronto played Edmonton in in '82. Um, so you're dealing with like 40 years of either ownership neglect or ownership stupidity and the fact that Toronto got baseball, got basketball, got soccer, got world-class theater, got way more concerts and music than it ever had in the past. You add all that up, plus the NFL's rise as a giant monolith, and it's really big in the Toronto market. I, I worry that the, the Argos, the best they can hope for is to be hopefully a successful niche and I always said when they moved to BMO I said I think you know you can get to this this team to 20,000 people a game in here and that's enough to make it work but it's going to take three to five years well now I think it would take eight to ten years and I don't know if MLSC is going to give it eight to ten years I'm worried about it frankly Reed I really am yeah okay yeah that's fair well Paul th this was an awesome conversation we'll have to catch up again because I know you're uh, a wealth of knowledge about the Canadian Football League not just the, the 91 Argos but I hope you're the rocket does great I look forward to reading it let's talk again down the road thank you so much I love love doing it I miss Edmonton a lot it's always nice to talk to folks from, from back there Right on. Thanks, Paul. Paul Woods, the book is Year of the Rocket. John Candy, Wayne Gretzky, A Crooked Tycoon. That's Bruce McDowell and the craziest season in football history. You can tell there, Paul's a great storyteller. Okay, well, thanks for tuning in tonight. Besides Paul Woods, you heard from Jordan Baker and Dave Campbell and comments from Chris Presson on the Elks COVID situation. I'm sure we'll have more to discuss on that tomorrow. Dave's the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator. My name's Reed. Take care. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.